0: This week on the podcast, I got to do something really cool. I got to sit down with actor, author, longtime personality, Rob Lowe, which honestly (laughs) made me feel pretty cool. I'm not even going to lie, made me feel pretty cool. And our conversation ended up being so much more insightful and fun and enjoyable than I thought it would be. So, I hope that you enjoy this conversation, and I hope that you get as much out of it as I did. Here is my talk with Rob Lowe. Hello, Rob Lowe. Hello. It feels Hello. absolutely crazy to be speaking with you. Um, I feel like I have to start with the fact that my 13-year-old has watched Parks and Rec four times straight through. So, yes. So this is uh, the coolest that I have ever been in my entire life to him. So (laughs) that's just where we should start. I know you've done so many other things in your career, but Jackson Hollis thinks I'm cool because I get to talk to you. So that's that's making me feel happy today.
1: Well, first of all, Jackson Hollis has a very cool name. Yes, he does. (laughs) Jackson Hollis has big things in store. With a name like that, um, I and I love that he—I I love that he loves Parks and Rec. I and I love that he's—that he's that young, and that that show speaks to him. i it—it it just makes me so happy when the, the young whippersnappers are into the right. old man. Makes me right. very happy.
0: I'm Rachel Hollis, and I've built a multi-million-dollar media company with a high school diploma and the free information I found on the internet. In the 15 years that I've been building and scaling my company, I have become deeply passionate about helping other entrepreneurs to do the same. So each week, I'll be sharing tangible and tactical advice and inspiring interviews with the same intention. These are the tools to change your life and your business. This is the Rise Podcast. Um as you you know talking about all the different things that you've done um I find it really interesting you're you have a podcast now um yeah. and in your career you've been obviously in so many different forms of media talk about podcasting and why that's something that you're doing now
1: Uh well so it's a it's a I think an authentic and logical extension of uh, a process that started when I wrote my first Memoir, and I really enjoyed sort of just communicating who I really am, and and it became a bestseller. And I wrote a second one, and it became a bestseller. And then in, instead of writing a third book, I created a one-man show that I toured the country with, and loved that experience. And so, a podcast felt like. A net a natural progression of that that also let me satisfy my natural curiosity about other people. And um I'm really blessed to have access to some really incredible people, a lot of whom are my friends, but not all of them. And and so the 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 people that I've been able to talk to in a way that no one else is really going to be able to talk to. For example, this week uh it will be Gwyneth Paltrow. And you know, I've known Gwyneth, she was 18 years old and crashing in my guest room when she was debating on what agency she wanted to sign with and if she should drop out of university of, Sa- of santa barbara so um it's it's just a it's by the way i'm enju- i'm loving it i'm having the time of my life and the response has been surpassed my wildest expectations i'm having a blast in this space no wonder you love it so much it's,
0: it's fun yeah uh, well, one of the things that strike me in listening to the show so far is that you seem, now you are an actor, so obviously this could be something that you are, it could be an effect, but you seem genuinely curious. Like you see, you strike me as a person who is genuinely curious about other human beings, what their stories are. Like, is that something that you've always had as a part of you or is that something that you've developed over time?
1: I think I've always been curious. I mean, I know I have. I was always the... uh Pleasure to have in class. I wasn't necessarily getting the best grades in class, but I was a pleasure, and and I think it's because I enjoyed learning. I real I always did, um, and I love. I still love learning it, 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 at this point in my life, and and I love learning from people whom I admire or um, who I've always wondered how they've gotten to where they've gotten. But also, I just love like going down rabbit holes and into weird areas of the conversation. I'm, I'm my interviewing style. First of all, it's not an interview and I know it's a cliche. It's not an interview. It's a conversation, but it really is true. I'll follow down a rabbit hole no matter what it is, as long as it interests me. And, um, and so far people are, are liking it. And I, I I'm having, I'm having laughs and fun and it's cool.
0: I always feel like actors have a a bit of a leg up when it comes to an interview because you have the yes and mentality. Like I always feel like that leads to the rabbit hole, right? Where no matter what someone's saying, you're like, oh my gosh, yes. And this other thing as well. Do you feel like that's played a part in being able to have these conversations kind of go where they've gone?
1: I do. And I also think the other big component that that actors have, at least good actors, uh, good actors are good listeners. And, um, and, and, and the mark of, of, there are two marks of, of really stellar acting, listening and honesty. And, and those things are, I think, the, also the hallmark of, of, of a great podcast. Um, you know, a lot of people will say things like, well, I don't know if I can trust him. He's an actor. You know what I mean? He's a good liar. And it's exactly the opposite. Actor, um, only bad actors lie. Good actors are, ha, have to find truth in the lie that they're given, which is dialogue and scenes that are totally made up by somebody else. So your job isn't to lie, your job is to find the truth in it, and deliver the truth in an honest way. So um, I, I think that that's a good muscle to have when you're, when you're talking to people on, a, on a, in a public forum like a talk show or a podcast.
0: Can I ask um in speaking about you know having done stage, having done movies and TV now podcasts, I'm sure there's other things you've done that haven't even I'm not aware of. Um, do you think that that comes from a place of is that your curiosity to see what else you might be able to do, or do you think that comes from an achiever mentality of wanting to see sort of how you can level up to the next place?
1: both <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I, I mean, because i, I I do have a very, um, I don't know if the word competitive because competitive can have that sort of pejorative feeling to it. Um, but I, for lack of a better term, I I do have a a competitive component to my personality. Um, but, but it's also, it's, it's also that, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm never satisfied, and I want to find something new, and I want to learn i mean the real the, to me the great the, the worst thing in the world is boredom like I do not do well bored um it's the idle mind truly is the devil's workshop, and um, you know I've been acting a long time um there's not a lot of mystery there there just isn't i'm good at it, I like it I enjoy it it's my job I'll always do it, but you know the wow factor is long gone so What can I do that's in that world that 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 I am still learning a ton? I know nothing about podcasting. Literally, I I don't know. I I mean, and which is fun. I mean, I'm making it up as I go along, which is what I did when I was an actor. I didn't know anything. I was like, I want to be an actor, and I just got out there and put one foot in front of the other and worked hard and got lucky and all that stuff that needs to happen. But I figured it out and. Now in, in this world, um, you know, I, I get to follow my instincts. I get to learn. don't know what the rules are. It's fun. Really fun. Do you,
0: Are you familiar with the Enneagram? Do you know what the Enneagram is?
1: No, I think I'm about to learn
0: something. <laughs> um, so Enneagram is a personality test that has been around since ancient Greece. And it divides personality types into nine numbers. And I'm always curious when I sit with someone what their number is. And I I'm feel like I know... Yes. It Literally, okay. you can Google it. It'll take you 15 minutes. It will blow your freaking mind. And then you have your wife do it and you can compare your number and hers and how they work together. And it's like reading your diary. It's wild. wild oh, wild. I can't
1: wait to do this. Yes.
0: yes. Please do it. It's so good. But I, my gut is that you, well, I don't want to tell you because you're never supposed to tell someone their number, but I have an instinct about what your number is. Um, and I'm just curious because I, for me, this idea of, I, in, in no way near what you've done, but I also tend to push myself to, you wrote a book and now you're going to do this thing and now you're going to make this and now a live event and whatever. And part of it is definitely curiosity, but a big part of it is, can I do it? Like, can, could I actually pull this off? Like, because it's the same, if you sort of do that same thing over and over, you do get it it does feel stale or it does start to feel like, so I feel like you and I might be a similar number, which is well,
1: why I and, ask. And by the way, that quality is, you know, can also lead you to, at least I should speak for my own. You know, it's also the quality that can get me into trouble sometimes. It's like, you know, um, you know, every year when the Academy Awards come out, you will see my stupid big face out there from like worst Academy Award moments. Like every, it's, like thirty years Wait, what ago. What was your
0: moment? I don't. I don't remember that. I, I don't know. God that. bless
1: you. I love. The, I love that you don't know that. But it, you know, like that thing of like once it's called your attention, you'll now see it every five <laughs> oh, seconds. Oh
0: God!
1: So yeah, they asked me to ho- to do a song and dance number to open the nineteen like eighty six Oscars. It's however many years ago. But every year, watch every year <gasps> the Oscars roll out. Every year, there will was be. It bad?
0: An op-ed piece
1: on most embarrassing Oscar moments, and I will always be number one with a bullet. What happened, and by the way, it's awful.
0: It's awful. awful. I can't wait to watch.
1: But it was supposed to be goofy and fun and cheeky and... Not serious, and and i that was before I realized that there is no more solemn occasion than the bestowing of the oscar right I, did, I didn't realize it was on par with the Nobel Peace Prize. I do now of
0: course yes, yes yes now
1: yeah. I, now I get it, but i I didn't get the memo when I was uh you know twenty three and the Oscars asked me to do it, and being a good people pleasing midwestern boy, I said yes, and when the great Marvin Hamlish, who's won three Oscars, wrote a really Cheesy, corny musical number. I didn't have the wherewithal as a 23 year old just to, to stand up to Marvin Hamlish. <laughs> so, the, <laughs> who so,
0: does really?
1: And who does? So, so the net effect is it's a disastrous duet with Snow White. Um, who, by the Animated? way, the Oscars,
0: Snow White or a person, no, a real, a a real person, okay. a real
1: person playing Snow White, but, but the Oscars also never decided to get the rights to the Snow White character. So they were sued immediately the next day by Disney, which you never want to have happen. And that started people really examining what had gone on. And maybe without this lawsuit, I would have gotten away with it. But when people really in the cold light of day, the next day went back and looked at it, like, wait a minute, this is really bad. Um, so, but my thing was like, yes, my, 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 my default you know, thing is, I'll do it. I can try it. I can see if I can do it. And sometimes it works out. And other times you're left in front of a billion people live watching you not do, a, a caught in a train wreck and looking out at the, I'll never forget looking out into the crowd. And you ever been in front of a crowd and you focus on just one person? Like you, yes. it's like blurry, 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 100%. blurry people. And there's one person that you can't take mm-hmm. your eyes off
0: of. Right. So
1: it, it was, and that, Night at the Oscars. It was the great director Barry Levinson, who had directed Rain Man. Yes. I mean, at that moment, there's no bigger, no bigger director that you would want to impress. No more important person that night. He is going to win like five Oscars, and I'm doing my bump and grind to you know rolling on the river with Snow White with lyrics rewritten to talk about show business. And I look out and I see Barry Levinson, and Like it's like a spotlight on him, and legitimately, I see his mouth mouth the phrase, What the fuck? (laughs) No. So, listen, you and I can be strivers and achievers and pushers and challengers, but every once in a while, you're going to run into Barry Levinson going, What the fuck?
0: Oh, so I have um, this year, I was asked to uh, speak for Oprah on her stage. And I decide that I, if I'm going to speak for Oprah, I'm going to do it as myself. I'm going to be the real me. I am. I'm going to be who I am. And so I start by telling what is a hilarious story. It is. I, I usually only speak to audiences of women. So I start by telling a hilarious story. This is more than I thought I would ever say to Roblo um, about uh, tampon. The situation that happened with a tampon, and I do it. There's 14,000 people in the audience, and I'm like, "This is gonna kill." And I didn't understand that she would be sitting in the audience watching me give this talk. Like in my head, she's backstage eating a granola yep. bar. It never occurred to me that my hero's in front of me watching me speak. And so she's sitting there, and I start telling this story, and I'm like, "Here it yeah. is. I got yep. this. It's hilarious." And she gets up and leaves her Oh, seat. no. And I, and I know, this is not like a, oh, Oprah needs a drink of water. This is like an Oprah's upset that you're telling a story about a tampon on her stage. And I'm like, oh my! in my brain, I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And you just have to go. Oh, yeah. You no. just have to keep going. At that going. point, you and double down. In my head. You yeah, double down. You. That is exactly right. I literally was like, go harder, yes. go harder. Yep. And I tell the whole thing. Yep thinking in my head, no, no, she's fine. And she came up at the end and was like, girl, I'm glad you got to a point because I was getting real nervous with that tampon story. And I died, um, like just shriveled inside my body. I'm still dead. This is a ghost speaking okay, to you so now.
1: now. imagine but- if every year on the anniversary of the, of that Oprah conference,
0: right. Every right. newspaper
1: in the country does a most people who bombed at oprah's thing like it's 30 years ago the thing
0: the thing, what right but the thing was i didn't bomb only oprah didn't understand it because i don't know oprah doesn't use tampons maybe ever but everyone else thought it was great and here's the thing you get that story do you know how many actors freaking wish they could perform on the oscars even if it wasn't great here's the
1: other thing about Oprah didn't get it, but everybody else did. So I leave the stage, right? And it's the beginning of the Oscars. And there's a room, it's called the Green Room, where all the famous people come after they've won their awards or who are presenting. So, but it's the beginning of the show. and There's no one there because it's the beginning of the show. And yes, I've seen Barry Levinson. I've seen it. And he did say, what the fuck? But I've convinced myself, I've doubled down, as you say, I've doubled down. And I'm like, you know what? What the fuck does Barry Levinson know? There's nothing. Right. That the man knows nothing about entertainment. Nothing. And I walk, so I walk into the the green room, and there is this in the corner, this older woman, red hair, and she says, and I and I can't quite see who it is. And she's sitting by herself watching the show. And she says, Young man, I had no idea you were such a wonderful singer. And I look and it was Lucille Ball. And she oh asked gosh. me to come over to see her. And I did, of course I did. And then she held my hand and we walked and we watched a half an hour of the Oscars holding hands. So, Stop so, so it. Barry Levinson That's didn't so like it. Up. Barry Levinson didn't like it, but Lucy, Lucille Ball did.
0: I love Lucy. Sure did. I love Lucy did. Oh my gosh. What a good story. Can, I mean, as I'm hearing you say this, I'm thinking of how many times, because how, how long is your career now? How long have you been an, a working actor?
1: Since 1977.
0: Oh, my gosh. So what is, what is that?
1: It's four, it's four decades.
0: Great. Four decades you've been a working actor. And in order to still be a working actor four decades later, it means that you have had to fail over and over and over and over and stand back up and go again. And I, in, within the community of people listening to this, we have a huge community of entrepreneurs and dreamers and people who want to write a book and people who want to be an actor, all sorts of different people who are chasing a goal. And one of the questions I get most often, or one of the things that we talk about the most is a fear of failure. They're so afraid to fail. And my challenge back to people is always. You're not afraid to fail. You're afraid for them to see you fail. It's a difference. One is about failure. One's about ego. Mm. And so could you speak to people who are listening to this right now about how you have encountered failure and what you've done in the face of it? Because I'm sure a million times Every actor who's been acting as long as you have has had seasons where you can do no wrong and then seasons where like, oh, dang, what's the next thing going to be? And you wouldn't still be here with the new podcast and the show and all these different things if you hadn't kept going. So can you speak to that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've had tons of tons of failure. I, I, My first TV series, I was 15 years old and it was um, it was always the lowest rated show on television. Not among the lowest rated. It was the lowest rated. And, you know, it was opposite. It, ugh, anyway, um, I, I'm having post-traumatic stress disorder thinking about it. And then, and then from the time I was 16, 17, 18, I, didn't, I couldn't get an audition. I couldn't get a job. I auditioned all the time. Now, you know, what happens in show business with kids, with young people, if you get to be 16 and 17 and 18, they like to hire 18 and older because of the child labor laws. So in, there were people telling me that's why you're not getting these auditions. You're 16 years old. They're hiring an 18 year old to play 16. It's not you. It's not you. It's not you. Well, that's all fine and good. Meanwhile, I'm not getting the jobs. And now it's the time. It's you're in college. You're in high school, and you've got to think about your future. And are you going to go to college? And I thought my career was over. It was over. So I was going to go to study film. If I couldn't be in film, I'd study film. And I had, there was one casting director who was a a very good, loyal supporter. And she said, just give it to your 18th birthday. I, I for sure thought it was done. I mean, I couldn't get anything.
0: Where were you, where were you born?
1: Well, born in Virginia, lived in Ohio until I was 13. But from 13 on, and for my career, I'm out in Los Angeles, living in-
0: In LA. Yeah. And so you knew, even as a little boy, like, this is the thing I want to do.
1: I knew at eight, when I was eight years old and saw, saw Oliver, like the local theater production of Oliver. That's when I knew. Wow. Um, wow. So I kept at it, and at my 18th birthday, I got The Outsiders, my first movie with Francis Ford Coppola. On your 18th birthday. Literally on my 18th birthday. Wow. Or as Chris Traeger was say, literally on my yes. birthday. <laughs> yes. um, but your other point about fear of failure and what have you, I kind of liken it to the way I feel about fishing. Like It's like, I'm not going to catch If I don't catch anything in my first three casts, I'm convinced that the fourth or fifth cast, I will catch a fish. So if you're one of those persons who's going to throw a line in the water the first time and not catch a fish and bail, you're never going to catch anything. Right. And I'm all, I just, you know, I don't know if it's luck, worldview, whatever, but I'm always convinced that the good thing is right around the corner. There's a great, you know, I, I've been sober now for 30 years and in 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 sobriety and recovery, there are all of these catchphrases and truisms that a lot of people think are trite and cliche. I happen to love them. Love them. They've been very important to me. And one of them is "Don't leave before the miracle." And I have found that to be true in in every area of my life.
0: Is there? Um, I love the I love the hearing about you being a child, literally a child, and having a grown ups dream for your life because i have a very similar memory of my own life what do you think or have you thought about what the eight-year-old version of you the 13-year-old version of you would think of where you are today? oh my
1: god they it would be incomprehensible to that kid by the way the kid uh, that eight-year-old knew because he was an idiot and didn't know anything he was eight years old but that eight-year-old knew he was going to be a successful actor Now, meanwhile, that eight-year-old's living in Dayton, Ohio, not exactly a factory of actor producers, um, but I knew it. I knew it in every fiber. uh, I just knew it like I knew what the weather was. Um, It was a gift. I've talked to other people who've had that. Sounds like you may have had that. Mm -hmm. Um, We're out there. Prodigies, whatever you want to call us, we're definitely out there. Um, But even with that kind of worldview, I would have never thought, that, that I would be where I am today. Never, ever.
0: So I think that there's something really interesting about this idea because you, you say so definitively, like you knew as little kid and I knew as a little kid, I knew, I, I couldn't have told you I would have the life that I had today, but I knew the direction. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's something really powerful about the dreams that we had before people told us that our dreams were stupid or before people told us to be safe or to be um, conventional or like what I think of for listeners right now is like, who were you before they told you to be somebody else? Mm, Who were you before the world sort of gave you your parameters? Because uh, so uh, predominantly have women in my community and One of the things that I hear so often from women, especially moms, is I've lost myself. Mm -hmm. I don't know who I am. I don't know what I love. I don't know what my hobbies are. And the question that I always ask them is, who were you before you were their mama? Who were you before you were his partner? Who were you before you became what you are known for today? Because I think, God, there's something so powerful about who you were before they told you to be someone else. So what do you think it was about, you know, from you, let's say 13 on, what kept that dream alive when I'm sure you had people in your life who were speaking into this, not being a great idea. And you certainly had lack of auditions and evidence that was telling you that this might not work. So what keeps you going when you're not getting the validation to stay inside of the dream you believe is supposed to be yours.
1: Yeah. I have tremendous empathy for this whole subject, mostly now because I'm raising my two sons are entering the workforce and, you know, how old are they? uh, 26 and 24. Okay. So they're in the thick of it. And, and, you know, as a parent, as you know, you see your own childhood, replayed back to you in a reverse image as you raise your own kids.
0: 100%. And yeah.
1: And so I give a lot of credit to my parents because they did not say to me, well, you're going to, you're, dro- you, you're sure you're dropping out of the first semester of USC to do this movie, but you're, you're re-enrolling, right? I mean, you need a, you need a degree to fall back on. I mean, acting is so fickle. And, you know, no one told me, this is an amazing statistic. Fasten your seatbelts for this one. So our union for actors, for the listeners out there, actors, all, every actor you know is in a union called the Screen Actors Guild. Every struggling actor, every movie star. In the Screen Actors Guild, out of all the membership, and I think there's like 3,500 members, uh, 99.5% of them do not make enough money to support themselves as an actor. Wow. It sounds like an overdramatic stat. It's not. No one ever told me that. No one ever used that as a precautionary tale. My parents didn't say, well, they didn't know it. And I didn't know. So ignorance was bliss. But man, I have, I don't know what it would be like to know what I know and have my kid come to me and say, I want to be an actor, which incidentally finally did happen. (laughs) But my favorite. Is,
0: and did, how did he respond? Well, my
1: favorite was he. He, he got into. He uh, graduated from Stanford with straight A's and got into Stanford as the youngest intern at the Eli Broad Stem Cell Laboratory at the University of San Francisco as as a high schooler, and then came out of all of it and said he wanted to be an actor. I wanted to commit <laughs> ritual suicide. I I, I almost disemboweled <laughs> myself publicly. Oh. Um, and you know what? Just in fairness to this, isn't, speaks to your podcast. When he was at the University of San Francisco, Eli Broad Stem Cell Lab, um, the scientist working next to him won the Nobel Prize, and he worked with him every day, and was like, "I, with all due respect, with all unending respect, he won the Nobel Prize. It's not my life." I don't mm-hmm. want I don't want to do what it takes to to maybe win the Nobel Prize. It's not for me. So that is a gutsy my youngest son, Matthew, um graduated from Duke and went to Loyola Law School, passed the bar, California bar first time right before COVID and realized he didn't want to be in that big law grinding to maybe be make partner get or get shit canned out right as he's about to make partner and billable Eye. he didn't want to do it and that's not a great conversation to as a parent either to hear um and now he's but,
0: but better now than you know but, four years later and yes yeah he's burned out and all of those things yeah yeah,
1: yeah. and now he's working you know at, at, a, at a tech startup and pursuing other things but I did, as a parent, I did have a dream. And the other thing is because acting's hard, man. This is a hard career and I've had it great, great. And guess what? It's hard and it's still mm-hmm. scary. And I still feel like I'll never work again, honestly. And you, you, you're, I'm not responsible for my own destiny, really. I mean, I, I am as much as probably anybody in the business is because I'm so entrepreneurial. But even I'm, you know, marked to market based on everything I'm doing. So I'm at the beck and call of audiences, studio executives, tastes, reviews, whatever it is. And I wouldn't wish it on my children, the insecurity. So I did everything I could to crush every creative instinct that they possibly could have had. So I would have normal, adjusted, you know, secure citizens of the world. And then one day I woke up and went, Oh my God, what have I done? What have I done? Are my kids going to be in cubicles?
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. You know I mean, so, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm one of your podcast listeners. Cause of this, you know, this is the, these the things we think of.
0: Uh, the, it's so interesting of how we embrace parenthood, how we try and do our very best. I was talking about this with a friend the other day, that no matter what you do, you still will somehow mess up your kids. Well, no matter how hard you try, sp- no matter how much you love them, no matter how many books you read, uh, that you will do something that they're going to be in therapy and they're going to be like, well, my mom or my dad did this thing that now I'm trying to work through when really you only had the very best of intentions.
1: It's, it's
0: like,
1: it just is. It just is. We, we screw our kids up. We're going to do it. They're going to do it to their kids. Hopefully the, the, whatever the screw up is, is, is less and less malignant, you know, as generations go on and we, we learn about each other, but I just think it's part of what, what happens? I mean, look at it this way in life. I've always learned more from failure than I have from success. And I think the thing is the same with relationships. I've learned more from the parts of relationships that were, were, were not great. And I think that's what our kid, that's why we do it as parents. I think it's why it's part of the the DNA of life is we're meant to fuck them up, honestly, because yeah. that's where they're going to learn.
0: Yeah. Right. Uh, if you believe in past lives, which not everybody does, but if you believe in past lives, then you believe, or there are people who believe that you you're, you literally choose your parents because there's something that you are supposed to learn in this iteration and in this journey that those parents are going to teach you, usually through... Um, the opposite of what we would hope usually through friction or strife or Mm -hmm. uh what have you but i think that there's something really beautiful about the idea that whether you had the best parents in the world or really crappy parents there is something in it for you and that like what a beautiful journey i I, it's so funny because i um Just had this conversation the other day with another um, actor who has a teenager who for the first time ever is saying like, oh, I think I want to be a model like you, mom. And she was sort of struggling with this reality. But I think how in the world could you possibly be your sons, right? Like you're a good dad, you're showing up for them and you have this legacy. It feels like it would be impossible to not want to emulate you in some way right to not see even the hard stuff even the whatever like how i don't know like in some way it feels like an honor to your legacy that it's like i want to be like you i want to i want to i want to put my mark on this i want to see what i've got i want to see how to move into this space even if you know sort of the behind the scenes it does, ugly it, parts of that and at the end of
1: the day that's exactly where i came down with it exactly that and also i don't know weirdly why this made me more okay with it is like, I don't think twice that LeBron James is, and by the way, I'm, I'm nowhere near as accomplished as LeBron James, but, but like, of course, LeBron James's son is the most highly recruited right. basketball. Of course he is. Why wouldn't he be?
0: Right. Of course
1: he's going to play in the NBA. Of course he is. Why, what, why wouldn't he be? And so in the same with all like athletes, you know, you it's in the DNA, like, why is the physical of it, the physical mental of athleticism in the DNA in a way that, that, that the creative showmanship, storytelling, acting, it's in the DNA, you know? And, and so you, you can, you can, you can only fight your DNA for so long. And, um, the one thing I did tell my son though, was that, um, he cannot be an actor waiting by the phone, which by the way, today's generation of actors are not that in my day, it was like Corona's with limes at Charlie Sheen's pool, you know, waiting for our agents, uh, to call us on our answering machines. That's, uh, (laughs) you know, that's sort of what it was. And that's not that now. People luckily, thankfully, people are much more well-rounded. But I was like, you have to be a writer. You have to be a content creator, create your own content. And that's, and he actually writes on Lone Star on my TV show. He's on the writing staff. Oh, that's awesome. So he's making his money as a writer, not as an actor at the moment.
0: Yeah. I mean, I love, I love that you talked about, um, being in control of your career and how rare that is as an actor. I think that more people are meaning being in control of your career and your revenue and your growth potential by being an entrepreneur, because I think that that is something, especially that I see in the actresses and I hate, I'm I'm not making sweeping generalizations about women, but in the actresses and the editors and the directors and writers that I know that are women and women who have great names that you are essentially beholden to what someone else wants to do with your career, whether or not they cast you, whether or not they think that you're right. And it's so terrifying to me that you put all of the power into someone else's hands. So when did you start leaning into entrepreneurship and like, what point did that become something that you realized that you needed to take control of?
1: Um, it was a couple of things. Uh, when I saw the business changing and seeing where it was headed and realizing that, like, the movies that I came up making are not movies anymore. They're, you know, right. they'll be, they would be, you know, they would be, they would now be a six-part limited Netflix thing, which is always so right. And it's not, it's not good or bad, or it's not a comparison. It just is, you know, um, it just is. in yeah. a movie like about last night or St. Elmo's fire now would be a limited six episode story okay. about kids navigating their first year getting out of college. That's what it would be. It would right. not, it would not be a summer tentpole movie that everybody knew of and talked about. We don't live in that world anymore. So, um, you know, I, you gotta, you, you can't be the dinosaur walking around as you're seeing the comet in the sky, thinking it's business as usual. And, and, and our whole world is like that right now. I don't care what business you're in. Your business is changing. Right. And you better be fucking up at night, figuring out what you're going to do to adapt and survive, or you are going to be a fossil.
0: I've talked about this for two years on the business side of things and at our business conferences and everything that we have done about this idea of it's so great the bubble was going to burst it was going to burst it was good for too long it was going to happen no one obviously could have foreseen this black swan event but here we are what are you going to do now Like we're in this, we're in a pandemic. It has affected every business. And certainly there are businesses that are killing it. If you, you know, own a grocery store chain, like congratulations to you. But for the rest of it, my business is half our revenue is based in live events that shifted right and I had about a week where we we knew back in March, oh my gosh, things are changing. We're going to have to go and start working virtually. And I had about a week of having too much vodka and eating too many chips of like, holy Ooh. shit, I have 60 employees. Yeah. yeah, Like these, I their insurance and their car payments and their rent and like all of these things that are required for us to be in business. Are you going to sit here and cry about this? You're going to figure it out. And we have figured it out Mm -hmm. and we have pivoted and the crazy thing about the world that we're living in is that one pivot wasn't enough so right like when we first went into this I naively really thought like oh we'll be we're apped up we'll be back in action like in May right and now we're at the end of July and there's no end in sight and so I think Mm -hmm. man I'd love to encourage entrepreneurs who are listening to this right now is that you have to stay nimble and you have to stay willing to to keep moving and to keep figuring things out. And it's like you said earlier, man, things are, you're going to keep, maybe you have to put the fishing line in the water 50 times. But when this is, when we're on the other side of this, those businesses, those entrepreneurs that are still standing are the ones who kept fishing. They're not the ones who got scared and walked away or gave up, like stay in it. Stay in it.
1: And they look at it and also to look at it, as you say, as an opportunity. You know, I I it just all comes back to are you glass empty or glass, you know, half full? And and this is, there's tremendous opportunity now. And you know, the other little truism that I once heard, little cliche that I love is um, particularly for entrepreneurial entrepreneurs, but it applied to me in my career, which is why I'm in podcasting now and it, it is don't just do what you can do do what only you can do so like a lot of people could have played well i don't think a lot of people could have played Tristan trager uh, let's let's not get crazy but look i've done plenty i've done plenty of roles where where other people could have done them plenty every once in a while you get one where you definitely feel like i'm the only person who could have played it and that's great but that that's a west wing that's a it's a rarity for the most part you know it would be different, but other people can do it. So the question is, what what is it that I offer that only I can offer? And I've spent a lot of time thinking about that. And I would encourage any entrepreneur or anyone to think about, okay, what is your your special sauce? Because everybody has it. And figuring out what it is, is the challenge. Maybe it's harder for some, not so hard for others, I don't know. But when you figure that out, then you build your world around that. And what I figured out for me is at the end of the day, when I peel everything away, the, the thing that I do and that gives me meaning and that I feel like I'm good at, that, that, that I don't see everybody doing or interested in, it's a niche that I can occupy, is that I'm a storyteller and a communicator. And that's what acting is. And that's what all of it has been. But this new version of myself is pivoted, as you say, into that because TV isn't what it used to be. Movies aren't what they used to be. My live shows are all canceled. Right. Done. Done so. Yep. yep. I'm not doing a meet and greet anytime soon.
0: <laughs> right. Right.
1: So, you know, you know what that's like? It's, mm-hmm. it's over for now. May not come back. So pivot, 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 mm-hmm. pivot, and, and, and. And grease the pivot with your special sauce.
0: <laughs> are, you, um, are you sort of a ritual person? Like if you know the five things that you do really well, are you ritualistic about really focusing in on those things? At, like uh, how, how much does ritual or habit play into the success that you have? Do you think?
1: I'm, I'm ritualistic in, my, in, in, in my certain things in my life, but not in my thinking. Um, I've realized I am, um, and there, and I think there are two types of people there. There are those people th- that you described, and then there are people who are much more intuitive. And I've really learned to trust my intuition above all else, and to listen to that in- inner voice as opposed as opposed to framework. Do, 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 do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm,
0: absolutely.
1: Um, uh, um, my my intuition is my my most valuable commodity, and and. Um, so, but, but when it comes to life, I'm very ritualistic every day is the it's like groundhog's day left to my own devices. I do the same damn thing every day, every, every, every night ends with the fire pit and a cigar and talking to my boys and looking at the flames and then spending time with my wife, then into the jacuzzi and then, um, my hot tea and drink night goodbye. And that's it every night. I love it. Couldn't be happier.
0: Do you have a morning routine?
1: I just started one.
0: Well, that? How about that? exciting. I love a morning very exciting. routine. exciting. I'm very, very big believer in the importance of a morning routine.
1: Well, see, what, what has prevented me historically from that is I'm an even bigger believer in sleep. Yes. And, and my wife, who's a genius, so I say, Rob, 10 more minutes of sleep makes no difference. I'm like, oh, yes, it does to me. <laughs> so, um. I've but but now with covid the gift of covid for me is I've been getting up and doing what all of the people I um, um who I admire have always told me to do for decades literally decades and I've never been able to do it is to meditate. Mm-hmm. And and by that I realize I don't have to do it perfectly. Um just because I sometimes fall back asleep when I'm doing it doesn't mean I'm a failure. <laughs> Um, just because I, you know, am not a a Tibetan monk with a mantra. doesn't mean I'm a, meditate merely means I've come to know for me being present in my own body in real time and that I can observe my own thoughts like leaves passing down a stream. I'm not invested in my thoughts. I'm not going from one thought to another. I, when I'm really in a good place, I'm not having any thoughts, but if I have them, I go, Oh. I was just it's funny, I was just thinking about when we're going to go back to shooting 911. oh, that's a thought. It goes away, and I move on to the next one, and then I have a little prayer book, and I do a little prayer, and it's always the same thing, basically, which is you know, um, you know, m- make me useful in this world for for um, something greater than myself, and mm. that that uh, I take my hands off the wheel. I don't need to be driving the car, I'm a bad driver um, and and, and it says, and then to, you know, to be healthy and people I love be safe. And that's what I do every day. And it's with my big cup of coffee and it's been great. Now, the question is, when I go back to shooting, right. when I'm 12 hour days, I'm up at five in the morning and I'm exhausted, I, I my guess is I'm going to revert back to my sleep trumping everything. And figuring out a way to do this at a different part, point in the day.
0: What time are you going to bed if you have to wake up at 5 a.m.? 10. Mm, so I'm, a like, 10, I'm like 9 p.m. in order to wake up Ooh, at 5. Because I'm the really? same as you. Sleep is everything. But one of my favorite quotes about this is the power plant doesn't have energy. The power plant makes energy. So in order for you to have the energy to perform, you know, 12 hour days and you're on and whatever, it's like, what are those things that you're incorporating into the day? So I'm huge on ritual, but what are those things that I incorporate into the day or that you can incorporate into the day that keeps the momentum going and keeps that energy going for you? Because the power of that meditation, I'm sure is everything.
1: Well, and the other thing is I'm, I, I am ritualistic also about exercise. So what do, what Traeger? do you do? I mean,
0: what do you do? What's your like workout well, routine?
1: So Chris Tra- Chris Traeger was based on me. This okay. is going to come as a shock to <laughs> okay. you now that you've heard me be unrelentingly positive for uh, forty five minutes straight. It's going to come as a shock.
0: I, I didn't even catch uh, that because I'm the biggest Pollyanna ever. So I was just like, oh great, this is a friend we're yeah. both going to be optimistic together.
1: Yeah, no, but I I uh, I'm optimistic and I and I'm a workout aholic. And that gives me tremendous, people don't realize it's not about narcissism, although I'm also a huge narcissist. It's about, um, <laughs> and no one, no one more vain, um, but it, it's about um, how it makes me feel and the amount of energy it gives me. So and I'm committed to, I'm committed to like, no one gets in the way, you know, um, it's like everyone has some amount of time to do something physical,
0: 100%. truthfully. 100%. They do.
1: And it, and all it takes is 20 minutes. You want to tell me there's 20 minutes less of Netflix, right? Really? You want to tell me there's 20 minutes less of, of being on the phone with or whatever, of texting or looking at Instagram, Every There's no excuse. Everybody has it. And, um, it, it it's a lifesaver. Yeah. It's a 100% lifesaver. Physical activity, curiosity, sleep, um, and being, did I mention sleep, by yeah, the way, sleep man, and sleep.
0: I'm, I'm here for it. Those are like, right? the, that's, that's, that's all you need. That's, that's, all, and cigars it's at it's night all you need. watching the fire, man. We, now we know
1: fire gazing, Great. they call it, Perfect. which, which opens your penal gland. They tell me, <laughs> I don't necessarily know what that's all about, but I'm going to get into Sounds it.
0: Sounds dangerous. Hey, uh, man, I really want to thank you for the time. I want to be respectful because you've been with us been with us. I'm speaking in three persons, but you've been with me for an hour. So Mm -hmm. I'm I'm really grateful for the time. I have so enjoyed getting to speak to you. And I know the audience has really enjoyed getting to um learn more about you and you know hang out with you again for the millionth time in their career with you. Um if you are if they're listening to the show and they are like, man, I didn't know Roblo was so awesome. I want to hang out with him more. (laughs) Where beyond the podcast, which is called Literally, literally, literally with Roblo, which everyone needs to go subscribe to and, and listen in. Um, where else can they hang out with you online?
1: Um, I'm on Instagram. Uh, you will usually see me, uh, and then you will get to see my sons making fun of everything that I post because I, let's face it, I am a boomer. It is, it's it's both mortifying and gratifying to follow me <laughs> on, on, on Instagram. I'm also on Twitter. It's uh, both Roblo with the blue check. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, I've got, uh, we'll be back with my, my show nine one one Lone Star. Uh, we'll be back in January and, um, I'm very excited about that. So, um, so
0: you guys are, you've already taped or you're shooting?
1: No, we, we are hopefully going to go back to start shooting right. the first is- week of, se- of September.
0: And are do you shoot in Austin?
1: We do, but most of it is in LA. We're all over. The, I mean, right. if we can make this show work, anybody can make any show work because it's a—it's the biggest show on television. It is the—it's—it's it's just the biggest show. It's—it's it's massive. That's awesome. And so we'll. Uh, this is going to be an adventure this year to try to do it
0: for everybody. Well, uh, blessings and good luck Thank to you. you as you all figure that out. It was so nice to meet you. Yeah, um, you too. This is great. Thank
1: you. I could have talked to you for another another three hours. Let's—we'll get you on my Yay, show next.
0: Perfect. Perfect. I would love that. All I would right. love that. All right. Have a great day.
1: Thank you. Thanks, everybody.
0: Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.